And in this corner, weighing in at a set of blueberries, the standard low-fat Republican, grand old Republican, who refuses to fight the Democrats the way they fight us, Governor Goofball. And in this corner, weighing in at a set of Vidalia onions, the teller of truth, the slayer of Democrats. Folks, people want a champion. A man and his microphone. The really real deal with Brother Craig, the hatchet man. To the really real deal, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio Program, The Really Real Deal. And we want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you all. And uh, hey, we want to give a great, big, huge uh, shout out to our new affiliate. Uh, out in the uh, Lynchburg area, WLVA, the Super Talk Station, uh, 580 AM and 94.1. FM, uh, welcome you all out there, and uh, we hope to hear from some of you out there in uh, what's that in 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 Lynchburg, Roanoke, and Bedford. And uh, so, hey, you you guys got to get get used to the way the Hatchet Man does things. We rock it and we roll it here. We take no prisoners, folks. And uh, I've been saying it for ten years. The truth is my hatchet. I bring it and I sling it. And uh, we take all comers. We do not screen calls. Uh, we would love to hear from you out there, and uh, we'll give the phone number out in a little while. Uh, we Actually, we're going to open the phone lines up kind of early today. I do want to start out with the fact that uh, Louis Gohmert, man, we, we have to get back into giving out the Golden Hatchet Award, folks. <laughs> and, uh, years ago, that's something we used to do. Uh, when someone uh, of noteworthy and and the Golden Hatchet Award for for our new listeners, I'm founder and president of the First Amendment Inc. And you know my saying is freedom is a use it or lose it proposition, and the the right to express yourself. You know I I've been saying for many many years that we in the Christian conservative constitutional capitalistic coalition we self censure. Because we're polite people, because uh, our coalition, primarily, we're Christians. I mean, even when you go to uh, my website at com and you look up uh, my uh, seven C's of a successful society, you see it's st- the first C is Christian faith. It, it all starts with Christian faith. And so, as Christians, we're taught to be uh, respectful and to and to not uh, go overboard, and uh, Republicans, conservatives, uh, people in business—you know—for the most part, 
the primary part, the largest part of our coalition, this is not everyone. This is not a blanket statement because obviously I don't follow this. <laughs> so, you know, I wouldn't care if it was, you know, uh, I was 100 million to one. You know, I'm, I'm going to use every last bit of my First Amendment rights and, and, uh, <laughs> and push the envelope. Now, we, we, we don't believe and nor do we advocate the way the Democrats uh, use the First Amendment to 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 push it into point of obscenity or untruth or uh, you know just maligning people just for the sole purpose of maligning them. No, we we don't do that. We don't engage in the politics of personal destruction, but in exposing lies, extolling truth and virtue and all things good. Yes. I mean, that we that we should leave no stone unturned, okay? All this nice guy stuff, you know, that, oh, no, Democrat, he's my friend across the aisle, you know? And uh, look, your friend across the aisle has been stabbing you and me in the back forever and a day. And see, and this is the thing that um, made uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert stand out uh, so much as he cross-examined uh, Peter Stroke. The simple fact that as Louis Gohmert said, you are a liar and you know that you're a liar and you know that we know that you're a liar. And yet you stand there with a straight face and you could probably pass a polygraph. As a matter of fact, we have it cute. Let's 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 hear a little bit the today's winner of the Golden Hatchet Award, Congressman Louis Gohmert. And you have come in here and said, I had no bias. And you do it with a straight face. And I watched you in the, in the private testimony you gave. And I told some of the other guys, he is really good. He's lying. He knows. We know he's lying. And he could probably pass the polygraph. Point. It's amazing. Mr. Chairman. No, this is my Mr. Time. Chairman, I'm and sorry. I, point of order. Paused. This point of order. No. The general state is point of order. A member of this committee just asserted that this witness who is under oath and a former agent of the FBI lied. There is no evidence that I ask him to withdraw it. I do not withdraw it. He is not a member of Congress. It's Hello. not a violation Hello. of the rule. I and do not withdraw it. You my man. Expressing my man. Okay. <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay. That's enough of it, Mark. Thank you for playing that. You see, this this is what we need. The gentleman did not withdraw. He did not back down. That's how you do it. It's almost like that TV commercial where Charlie Daniels snatches the violin from this young guy that's uh, playing a little serenade. I think they're, they're in a restaurant. And, and, and Charlie Daniels just blows that violin up. And then he hands back to the young guy this broken... A uh, violin that has smoke coming from it, and then he says with a Charlie Daniels drawl, "That's how you do it, son." <laughs> and so, for Louis Gohmert to all these low-fat Republicans, all these tofu and celery Republicans, that's how you do it, son. You know, you speak the truth, you do not back down when you get challenged. Okay, I mean, Jesus Christ even said, ye are of your father, the devil, and he's the father of lies. And so when you guys, when you speak a lie, you speaketh your own. Okay, and so there is no obligation for Christians or or any anyone uh, uh, conservatives, 
capitalists, there's no obligation for us to be so nice that we have to treat an obvious liar. Someone, I mean, this guy has text messages that that that, that Goldmert is reading to him the text messages that he sent, and the guy stands there, or sits there, rather. I stand behind the microphone. He, he was sitting. <laughs> but the guy says, I don't remember sending that text. I mean, you got the text right in your hand. What do you mean you don't remember sending it? I mean, it's uh, another thing about this guy now. We broadcast throughout Central Virginia, I think maybe nine or ten counties and cities throughout uh, 170 square mile uh, area, uh, our uh, base of operations. We broadcast other places, but base of operations, this is where we broadcast. So this is central and southern Virginia. Now, this joker, Peter Stroke, said of um, the uh, Trump supporters when he was in a Walmart, he was in Southern Virginia. So he could have been in one of the Walmarts. Very Is, is that Maximus growling at him? <laughs> yeah, you get it, Maximus. And uh, speaking of smell, if Maximus was to smell Peter Stroke, he, he might just bite him. Maximus the hatchet hound. But this, but yeah, that's right. Get him, Maximus. But this joker had the nerve to say that he could literally smell the Trump supporters in Southern Virginia, okay? I mean, this is, you know, we, we're up against our first break. But look, when we come back, we, I got a few other little clips. You know, This is a mindset, and then we're going to open the phone lines up after that because I am going to challenge Democrats today because, you know, some of these— uh, people in Walmart that Peter Stroke says smell like Trump supporters. Some of these people are Democrats, okay? And so I want to know, what is it, why do you Democrats continue to support Democrats when you have Obama talking about bitter clingers that, that love their God and their guns, and you have Hillary Clinton calling people irredeemable and a basket of deplorables? You know, it's just, it's, 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 the, the ugliness, the hatred that flows from the leadership of this Democrat Party. I want to know, rank-and-file Democrats, do you, are you under deception or are you in favor of this? But first, we're going to take a very, very quick break. A man and his microphone. Brother Craig. Hello, Virginia. Brother Craig here with a little message about giving out of the abundance that God has blessed you with. If this great nation is going to be saved, then we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition have to be in the vanguard. There are so many brave and God-fearing groups and individuals engaged in the battle of this rendezvous with destiny. 
There are social welfare groups like the Salvation Army at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Military groups like Special Operations Wounded Warriors at SOWWCharity.com. Christian groups like the Virginia Christian Alliance at VAChristian.org and SaltAndLightCouncil.org. And there's also churches and others, many, many very worthy groups out here doing the Lord's work. So we support not only our own group, TheFirstAmendmentInc.com, which keeps us on the air, but the main thing for you, the listener, is to give. Give somewhere, give generously, and give often. And give in the measure that God has given to you. Thank you, Virginia, and God bless you. Man, Brother Craig, yes, I'm a renegade. That's a very appropriate song to play there, Mark. And, uh, you know, this 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 um, display that um, that uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert put on that that made him worthy of winning the Golden Hatchet Award. You know, it's a shame that this 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 fine gentleman, I mean, he and this is not new to him. He Louis Gomer really gets after it. Okay, he is truly a proponent of truthfulness, one hundred percent. But the man is being vilified even by so-called conservative commentators. I mean, you, folks, th- how can you win a war when we have an opposition that is unmerciless against us? And by the way, when they attack us, they do not attack us with truth. They attack us with falsehood. We merely attack back with truth. And, I mean, Congressman Gomert didn't lie on the man. I think the biggest objection was when uh, Congressman Gohmert uh, made comments about the smirk on Peter Stroke's face, and he asked him, uh, did you have a smirk like that as you lied to your wife? Because, see, this affair he was having with the other witness, you know, what quite often is left out of that is that they're both married. So it's not like they, they, say, or they, they try to say they had romantic involvement. Okay, I like their lovebirds. No, they're lust birds. There's a difference between a lovebird and a lust bird. Okay, and so Congressman Gomert merely brought out that hey, you had to put that same face on that where you can look look the congressman uh, and the senators in the eye and lie through your teeth. You've had practice doing that because you had to do that with your wife. Okay, and people thought, oh, that's beyond the pale. Only if it was not true. If it was not true, it's beyond the pale. But if it's true, why would you have a weapon? And this is what galls me about Republicans. All these weapons we have, and we don't use them, okay? Like the, 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 this, this lie that they tell the Republicans are the party of the rich and the Democrats are the party of the little guy. 
when in the fact of the matter is, this is provable, that most billionaires donate more money, and it's not even close. Those that, a lot of them try to cover their bases. They give a lot of money to Democrats, and they give a, a few dollars to the Republicans just in case the Republicans win, okay? But the majority of them are Democrats, okay? And this is an absolute fact, but this myth persists because the lies that Democrats tell so often, they go unanswered by Republicans, okay? And so whenever we have a Republican who will stand up, grow a pair, as they say, you know, become an onion toter, trade in those blueberries for some Vidalia onions and act like a man, then this guy, he has to become attacked not only predictably by uh, Democrats and predictably by members of the media, but the man also has to be attacked by Republicans. This is ridiculous. You know, Corey Stewart running for United States Senate, going through that right now. Ken Cuccinelli went through that five years ago. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Donald Trump went through it and is still going through it, okay? And so... Folks, we have to learn who our friends are and not look for, you know, some perfect Boy Scout. But these are human beings, okay? Trump is just just a man, a human being. Uh, Congressman Gomer, he's just a man, a human being. You know, there's no perfect way you can be a gentleman and prosecute a war. And make no mistake, folks, we are at war. Okay, and uh, now I promised you, well, many of you have heard it, but let's just play just for old time's sake. Okay, (laughs) a little teeny bit of uh, President Barack Hussein Obama uh, referring to religious people as uh, having antipathy and, and clinging, clinging. How dare we clinging to God? Okay, let it roll. That's fine in them that they get better and they cling to guns or religion or uh, antipathy toward people who aren't like them or a way to explain yeah, as, as a way to explain things that are happening. No, you happen to us. That's what, so it, it's easy to explain, okay? Now that the clip of uh, Hillary. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? Listen to the cheers. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. But that other basket of people are people who feel the government has let them down. Yeah. The economy has let them down. Yeah. Nobody cares about them. Yeah, that's enough of that. But, you know, and and in these places that Democrats run, namely most cities, okay, government has let folks down. These are the places that Democrats are in charge of. These are the very places where most of the murders occur, most of the robberies. These are the places where the schools are failing. These are the places where you have literally multi-generational, four and five generations in dire poverty, okay? Now, you take a family where, let's say, you had two or three generations they have been social workers or school teachers in working within these systems. They're doing quite well, okay? 
Oh, you know, my grandmother, she was a school teacher. Oh, my grandmother, she was a social worker. Well, my mother, she was a social worker. Oh, and now I'm a social worker, and we just, we're such a nice family. We want to help the poor people, okay? Three generations of doing that, but you go down to the projects and talk to someone. Her grandma lives in the projects. Her mama lives in the projects, and she lives in the projects. Three generations of failure. Okay, so to whom do the benefits flow? They obviously do not flow to people in need. The benefits flow up, not down. Okay, and so these things, these are not mistakes. Okay, as the Republicans like to say, oh, my friend across the aisle, they just don't understand economics. Oh, my friend across the aisle, they just don't get it. And folks. I've been saying it for years. Maybe we don't get it. Maybe we Republicans don't get it. Maybe we Christians don't get it. Maybe we conservatives don't get it. Okay? After all, what is conservatism? What is it? You know, you ask most conservatives the question, what is conservatism? And I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, they're going to miss it. Nine times out of ten, they're going to cite to you one or two aspects of conservatism. And if you ask a Democrat what a conservative is, nine times out of ten, they're going to give you the Democrat talking points. You know, people with cement between their ears that are stuck in the past and want to return the country to chattel slavery. Okay? When all conservatism is, is conserving the idea upon which America was founded. And that idea is simply that our freedom and our rights, they are a gift from God. Not, they're not from government. The purpose of government is simply to secure our freedom, to secure our rights, not to grant them, because government lacks power to grant rights. Government only has the authority to protect to enforce, not to grant, not to see. Once you give government power to grant rights, you necessarily have to give government power to deny rights. Okay, and we're going to get in our second hour. We have a fantastic guest uh, that's going to uh, join us, Joseph. Tartakovsky, who's written a book called The Lives of the Constitution, where he goes into the lives of 10 different people who have had an impact on our Constitution. He sort of explains it through biography, which is a, a, ter- a terrific way to, uh, to, to write and to tell a story. And so... So we're going to get into some of these themes, and, and, you know, he's due uh, to be on in our 11 o'clock hour. But anyway, we're up against a a hard break, bottom of the hour news break. So what I would like to do on the other side of the break is perhaps take a phone call or two, and even from some of our folks who are viewing us uh, on Facebook, okay? And the number here is 804-454-1366, 804-454-1366. Six six. But it wasn't because I didn't know enough. I just knew too much.
to the program, America, your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's big dog radio program, Man's World Radio, the really real deal, as we listen to a little bit of James Brown there. And uh, yeah, Brother Louis Gomert really got after it. I'm so happy. And uh, we need more of that. And of course, you know, with Trump in office, it's shown off. It's not just Man's World uh, time. It's shown off Man's World time. <laughs> you know, folks are making a big issue over, um, you know, Trump over over there meeting the queen. Oh, he didn't follow protocol. He's supposed to bow. Yeah, like Obama bowed to the, um, what was this, king of Saudi Arabia with his little narrow hind parts pointed up in the air. Ridiculous, okay? Absolutely ridiculous. That fool did not know that he's on an equal footing with these people. You don't bow. The people that are the subjects in his own country, they bow, okay? And in England, if someone wants to bow uh, to the queen, fine, let them bow, all right? But in America, if I'll go over to meet the queen, I'm not going to bow to her, you know? I wouldn't bow to some king in Saudi Arabia. I bow to no one, you know? When Jesus Christ comes back, then I'll bow, okay? But until then, no, all right? And so Trump did not uh, bow, and, uh, you know, allegedly shaking her hand was, uh, you know, somehow some sort of an affront, okay? But I would guarantee you, if the queen uh, knows her history of the, uh, of, of, of the strong, powerful men of England with a wimp for a son, okay, a, a, a super wimp for a son, okay? I would guarantee you that this woman has been longing for real men, you know, for her to be in her 90s and to see England go from, and this has happened in her lifetime now. England has went from the world's lone superpower to now, I mean, you can almost stick a fork in England to a country that's being taken over by Muslims. And, I mean, you got a, a Muslim mayor of London, they, and they're flying uh, some sort of a cartoon balloon up in the air that, that looks that, that's like a caricature of President Trump. And, I mean, folks, this is just absolutely ridiculous, all right? Churches in England, as, as in the rest of Europe, churches are closing down, mosques are opening up. People that coming in, taking advantage of the welfare system, all right? It's just, folks, you just can't make this stuff up. And so for the Queen of England to see a, a man who, true, tr Trump can be rough around the edges. But how many English kings were rough around the edges, but they were strong men, okay? And so when you're in dire straits, and a man, a real man comes to ride to the rescue, do you worry that, you know, maybe he didn't wipe his feet on a mat at the door? I mean, it's, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous, okay? There's a time for uh, niceties and manners, and there's a time for strength. And it is, make no mistake about this, folks, it is strong men. Understand this point. It is strong men who make the world safe for weak men. You would not have weak men had strong men not 
defeated Nazism, had defeated a hero, imperial, the imperial Japanese Hirohito, had defeated uh, the, the fascistic Mussolini, okay? Had strong men not done that, you would not have the luxury of being a weak man, okay? I mean, we have men today. When I was a young man, you know, it was not unusual for a woman to sit for two hours and get her hair done. And for the most part, a man got his hair done in about a 10-minute, maybe 12 to 15-minute haircut. It's very common today, however, for a woman to get a 15-minute haircut and for a man to sit up under someone to put all kinds of elaborate crap in his head and take two hours. There's something wrong with that picture. And my position is that not all women are feminazis and that there are many, many women that do not like this, okay? And I think this feminazi thing benefits a very few women, but most women have gotten the raw end of the deal, okay? Most women have gotten the raw end of the deal. And, uh, you know, case in point, all this loose, um, the loosening of sexual mores and the increase in uh, aborticide to be used as, after the fact, birth control, right? Who has that benefited, okay? It used to be that young men were told, hey, don't have sex with anyone you don't want to marry because if you get her, mar- if you get her pregnant, son, you're going to marry her. And what's different about that today, folks, you get her pregnant, you drive her down to the abortion clinic. Who does that, does that benefit women? The feminazis would say yes. I say no. What do you say out there? 804-454-1366 is the number. 804-454-1366. And it's almost like, folks, we could go down the entire list, and it's odd that, you know, you would think that the difference between a Republican and a Democrat, and for those of you who are new to the program and you're hearing me beat up on Democrats a little, don't don't worry, folks, okay? I beat up on Republicans, too, all right? <laughs> I, I am an equal opportunity hatchet man. The hatchet is sharp on both sides, okay? So if some, if some Democrat out there wants to call up and defend Democrats or explain, you know, how you can hear— uh, Hillary and, 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 and Obama and Peter Stroke and, you know, the lies that are constantly made up, how you can hear that, I mean, or the, the, uh, the case, we're not going to play it today. We've played it before in the past, but at the uh, Democratic National Convention down in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Republicans brought up the fact that the uh, Democrat platform did not have one mention of God or religion uh, in the in their uh, platform, and so they had to rush out to the stage with thousands, tens of thousands of people in attendance, and do a voice vote to amend the 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 platform of the Democrat Party to include some passing reference to God. Because you know, after all, there are a lot of Christians that are Democrats, so you have to you have to fool these people. You know, you have to you have to satisfy them and with a straight face, you know, you have to do as it says um, in the book of Luke that 
they have to feign themselves just men, okay? Feign themselves, all right? And this is what they do when they go after uh, someone that they want to entrap, okay? They send out spies who should feign themselves just men. And so, and they take a hold of their words and twist them. And this is right out of the word of God. This is not the word of Brother Craig, okay? And this is what they do. So this people that say, oh, this never been done before, what they're doing to Trump and what they're doing to Republicans and the country's never been this divided. These folks that think that you need to open your Bible, this is being done, this is human nature, you know? And we have a written record of it happening 2,000 years ago, and it was happening before then. Okay, so don't hand me this stuff that, you know, the nation's never been this divided and it's Trump's fault or it's this one's fault or it's that one's fault. No, it's human nature. Okay, you have a group of people that want to replace God. They want to violate the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the God that most people replace God with is themselves in the whole orientation of the Democrat Party is to claim to be able to have the power and authority to determine the limits and extent of the freedom and the rights that God gave to every human being. From conception to natural death, you have rights, okay? Because your God in heaven created you with rights, created you free, created you so free, in fact. You are so free that he created you with the right that you don't even have to believe in God, okay? Unless, of course, you happen to be a Muslim, in which case there's a death penalty, all right? So, uh, but uh, the, the, the true God does not force that on you. The true God wants to court you into believing, not force you to make a slave, because God is more interested in capturing the heart of man, not a force. You know, with force, you might capture the body, but you will never capture the heart, okay? Never, okay? And true faith is dealing in the realm of the heart, in the, of the soul, of the spirit of man, okay? And um, so, anyway, folks, again, the number 804-454-1366. Now, back to... Uh, this these ideas between Democrats and Republicans and why Democrats and you know and I've been putting this challenge out basically for ten years and, and we'll get a Democrat will call up here like maybe four or five times a year okay and, and try to defend this stuff and uh, you know and I don't know if uh, they hear the uh, this logic and they convert or if they just uh, don't like it and change the station, you know, you know, who knows what's going on in, in, in folks' minds. Um, you know, are we preaching to the choir, people that are already believers? But, you know, I put this challenge out, and the challenge stays out. And uh, as a matter of fact, we've even put this challenge out to professional Democrats, which uh, I've never, ever, ever had a professional Democrat accept the challenge uh, to debate me on on a stage uh, in an arena in front of an audience, ne- it's never it's never happened. Okay, and so, but we we keep that challenge out there. 
Uh, even uh, we've invited uh, Democrat politicians to come on the program. Now, we've been blessed and honored to interview. I've probably done in 10 years, I, 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 I know at least 350 interviews, and, and we're probably over 400 interviews in, in 10 years. We've done a lot of interviews people literally from all over the world, every type of politician you can name, um, you know, presidential candidates, um, governors, senators, congressmen, uh, uh, business titans, uh, many, many uh, very, very prominent pastors from all over the nation. Uh, Most of the Christian filmmakers, when a Christian film comes out, typically we will be blessed and honored to have either the writer, the director, the producer, or one of the major stars uh, visit the really real deal and share uh, with the audience. And uh, but in, in all this, you know, we never get a positive response back from uh, from Democrats. You know, and now I once got a yes back from uh, Jesse Jackson's people and Al Sharpton's people. Okay, we got a yes back from them, but I I guess maybe they went online and looked up who the hatchet man is. And <laughs> the next day a call came, well, I'm sorry, we got, we have a, pre- a previous engagement. Uh, we're not going to be able to do that interview with brother Craig, the hatchet man. <laughs> yeah. Whimpering. And um, you tell them Maximus. Yeah. Maximus, the hatchet hound, he's sharp. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, folks, I'm a little long here on this segment. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, I would love for you to really pay attention to this uh, message here because this message tells you how the hatchet man has been able to stand behind this microphone for 10 years because freedom is not free. And um, it, 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 well, listen, we'll talk about it a little more on the other side of the break. A man... And his microphone, Brother Craig. Hello, Virginia. Brother Craig here with a little message about giving out of the abundance that God has blessed you with. If this great nation is going to be saved, then we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition have to be in the vanguard. There are so many brave and God-fearing groups and individuals engaged in the battle of this rendezvous with destiny. There are social welfare groups like the Salvation Army at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Military groups like Special Operations Wounded Warriors at SOWWCharity.com. Christian groups like the Virginia Christian Alliance at VAChristian.org and SaltAndLightCouncil.org. And there's also churches and others, many, many very worthy groups out here doing the Lord's work. So we support not only our own group, the FirstAmendmentInc.com, which keeps us on the air, but the main thing for you, the listener, is to give. Give somewhere, give generously, and give often. And give in the measure that God has given to you. Thank you, Virginia, and God bless you. Feeling my way through the darkness, guided by a beating heart. I can't tell where the journey will end. 
start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Well, life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes Well, that's fine by me So wake me up when it's all over Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal. 804-454-1366 is the number. 804-454-1366. And uh, about 10 minutes left in this first hour, uh, we do have a very fine guest coming up at the beginning of our next hour. So we would love to speak with uh, some of you out there. In the meantime, uh, a little more about uh, the ideas. And that's really what it's all about. Um, it, it's it's about ideas, okay? Uh, and everyone has heard of caveat emptor, buyer beware. Many of us have heard of caveat venditor, seller beware. Probably fewer, fewer of us have heard of caveat lector, reader beware, or listener beware, or viewer beware, okay? Lector, lecture, vendator, a vendor, okay? Um, but folks, this is where we are today because we're really, we're at war, and it's, it's morphed into an information war. Okay, because I mean, after all, what is the purpose of war? The purpose of war is to for one people to get another people to accept their terms of living. Okay, to accept the premises of their society, uh, of their interests against the interests and regardless of the interests of the people upon whom war is being made. Okay, and so. War has morphed, okay? It's gone from handheld weapons to rudimentary shooting weapons to bombs to ships to planes to missiles to atomic weapons, okay? You have um, other types of war, economic war. You have, um, they have a thing called an EMP, which is to uh, detonate a very, very small strategic uh, nuclear device uh, in the air, uh, not far up, that will fry, the shock wave will fry sensors, okay? And so that's the modern-day equivalent of, uh, you know, back in the days when they had the uh, telegraph and you watched these old Westerns, and back then, wire communications was 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 a very new thing. But you, you knew that it traveled through these lines and the, and the poles. And so what they would do was put a rope around the pole and uh, pull it down. And there you go. Uh, the telegraph could not communicate, all right? But today, it's uh, not just strategic communication that you would disrupt. You would disrupt an entire way of life, okay, with this. And so, but these things are messy, okay? And 
people tend to want to fight back, <laughs> okay? So not only that, but if you wage actual war, you, won, you run the risk of retaliation, okay? But, but if you can convince a people to accept your interests without firing a shot, well, if you've read The, the Art of War by Sung Tzu, you will find that he wrote 2,500 years ago that this is the greatest victory you can win. The greatest victory you can win is the victory you win without firing a shot, okay? And so this is the type of war we're in now. As war has, has morphed. I mean, you've gone from, uh, you know, red coats and blue coats in an open field taking turns shooting at each other. How ridiculous is that, okay, to camouflage to now they have no uniforms, okay? Those that make war on us, no uniforms, okay? Oh, no, I'm just an innocent little goat herder here. Uh, You know, I'm not trying to do anything, okay? Or they come to this country and they uh, still, the protestation of innocence is always there, always there, okay? But, the, the idea is to get into the realm of ideas such as your education, your religion, your culture. Now, take, for example, the um, Muslim world. Fun- and let's, let's just say, to be fair, the fundamentalist Muslim world, okay? Because... I have Muslim friends, and I I know Muslims that would not harm a fly, okay? But these Muslims, they don't read the Quran. They're not dogmatic, okay? But many, many are, okay? Many are. And so I'm going to share with you a few things, and this is a warning from a former Muslims. And I I have interviewed former Muslims, uh, as a matter of fact, Noni Darwish, okay? She's written five or six books Uh, there's a death penalty on her head right now, okay? And she said in her interview with me that there are 54 countries that she cannot travel to because in all 54 of those countries, it would be legal for anyone to kill her, okay? And there would be no repercussions for a person to kill her. As a matter of fact, they might name a street after them or start throwing uh, candy to children, Okay, and so in these societies, this is how they condition the children. Okay, martyrdom, killing, murdering. I mean, she even uh, spoke, Noni Darwish did, uh, she even uh, spoke of when her father was killed, uh, he was a a personal lieutenant to the then president of Egypt, uh, President Nasser, and that the president himself visited their home and asked The children, these are little children, okay? She was, I think, eight years old at the time. Asked the little children. She said she slept under the bed every night. She was so full of fear, okay? All of the bombing and fighting, uh, gunfire going on. Slept under her bed every night. But the president of the country asks, who wants to kill Jews? Okay, who wants to, do you want to avenge your father's death? Who? And this is taught in the school system, okay? So, and this is, this is war, okay? 
And then after I share this, I'm going to make the connection to the Democrat Party. Okay? Now, this is... um, what this is this is a warning. This is a Muslim who says I was born and raised as Muslim. My whole family is still Muslim. I know every genetic code of Muslim. Now his 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 English here is is not his first language. I know Islamic brain. I live and breathe with them. I am an insider. I left Islam when I understood that Islam is a sick and evil religion. The following are the Islamic message to the West, to the infidels of the West. The Constitution for the New Islamic Republic of Euro-Arabia and Amera Islamia is under construction. Okay? Check this out now. Okay? Now, we see Euro-Arabia happening before our very eyes. But how many of us see Amera Islamia? Then he says it's under construction. Okay? And then now he's back to saying uh, that we will fight the infidel to death. Meanwhile, American laws will protect us. Democrats and leftists will support us. NGOs will legitimize us. CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, will incubate us. The ACLU will empower us. Western universities will educate us. Mosques will shelter us. OPEC will will finance us. Hollywood will love us. Kofi Annan and most of the United Nations will cover our rear ends, although he didn't say rear ends, okay? Our children will immigrate from Pakistan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Indonesia, and even from India to the U.S. and other top Western countries. They will go to the West for education and full scholarships. America is paying and will continue to pay for our children's educations and their upbringing in state-funded Islamic schools. We will use your welfare system. Our children will also send money home while they are preparing for jihad. <laughs> I mean, there's much more there, folks, much more. But we, we unfortunately, we're up against a top-of-the-hour news break. And if you're just joining us, I am your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig. This is The Really Real Deal. And we will be right back with our guest, Joseph Tartakovsky. Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal, as we listen to a little bit of uh, Brother Ray Charles there. And as promised, folks, uh, we have uh, Joseph Tartakovsky uh, joining us. Uh, He is the James Wilson Fellow in Constitutional Law at the Claremont Institute for the Study of Statesmanship and Political Philosophy. And uh, his writings have appeared uh, all over the place, folks. New York Times, we forgive him for that. (laughs) The Wall Street Journal, the L.A. Times, among other uh, publications. And uh, as a lawyer, he has served as the Deputy Solicitor General of Nevada, 
uh, has uh, been a criminal litigator in uh, white-collar crime uh, and uh, has worked at an international law firm and has clerked uh, for a federal appellate judge. And this book, The Lives of the Constitution, folks, uh, I'm telling you, it is a truly great read. And uh, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and welcome to our program. Thanks for having me, Brother Craig. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have this 229-year-old document, uh, you know, in, in, in the annals of history. 229 years is not a long time, but it's the oldest the oldest um, current constitution. And uh, you have a brilliant way of uh, uh, discussing it uh, through 10 lives that uh, range from, uh, you know, Alexander Alexander Hamilton, you know, the Federalist Papers uh, folks, and um, all the way up to uh, Justice Scalia. I mean, and it's uh, it's really brilliantly written. Thank you so much. It's an incredible story, as you mentioned. It's not a long time uh, in human terms, but we are we have lived under a national constitution longer than any people in the history of the earth. Yeah, the the average length of a national constitution since ours took effect in 1789 worldwide has been 19 years. Wow, hundreds and hundreds of them. They usually last 19 years. They they fall apart in some way under the strains of politics. That's worse than France. It's worse. Yeah, that's yeah, worse than France. He's, they they've had five republics. <laughs> yeah, they're on their fifth. They're on their fifth republic. They've had a few Napoleonic empires, uh, a Vichy regime. They've had, you know, maybe a dozen different constitutions since ours is back, and yet we li- we still live under those yeah. same words. And it's an extraordinary accomplishment. And one of the things I tried to do in the book was figure out mm-hmm. how we, as the American people pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hamilton is a, is a, a key figure here with his his upbringing. His story is fascinating. You go into, you know, how he was born and his education and how people thought he was so brilliant that they paid for him to go to King's College. And so what was it about Hamilton? And, um, you know, George Washington thought he was literally indispensable. Yeah, that's right. I focus on Hamilton's contributions Hamilton's interesting because he didn't play the biggest role at the Constitutional Convention where it was drafted. It was sort of a uh, uh, an ineffective moment for Hamilton, but that's one of the only ones in his life. He was he was the one that gave the American government under the Constitution new life in the first life in the first uh, five and a half years under the Constitution. Mm-hmm. He he was the one that. Um, convinced George Washington that the presidency should be an office of power and energy and effectiveness. He helped establish some early customs that are not even written into the Constitution, but are as important as if they had been, like a, a political military. Mm-hmm. And um, he he basically sets out one of the two tendencies that have guided our sort of constitutional clashes since his time, which is the, the Hamiltonian vision and the Jeffersonian vision. Mm-hmm. Jefferson wanted, Jefferson was suspicious of government, wanted the Constitution to be a document of restriction. And Hamilton was the one who argued for a Constitution of 
rest and flexibility mm-hmm. and creativity. And what I argue in the book, and I'll just make this last point, is that you can dev- Hamilton's vision really has prevailed over Jefferson's. I hope that's not too uh, transgressive because I know we're speaking from a man in Virginia. Yeah. But, uh, other, yeah. <laughs> but, Virginians, but Virginians like John Marshall and George Washington also shared Hamilton's vision. But Hamilton, if you take a State of the Union speech, mm-hmm. whether given by an Obama or a Trump, the president is up there boasting about our far-flung foreign trade, how, how powerful our military is, how carefully they're monitoring and overseeing the economy from Washington, D.C. These were Hamilton's preoccupations. Mm-hmm. And these were Jefferson's nightmares. These are the things that he thought were yeah. unconstitutional. But, uh, I mean, a standing uh, army, for instance. Yeah, aren't they like um, medicine in the hands of a skilled physician, though, where if you administer it properly and in small doses, it works, but if you never get the patient off of it, then the patient gets sick. And so you you have, and, and it seems every four generations, there's this surge, you know, like you start with Hamilton uh, four generations later, uh, you know, Lincoln is being heavy-handed. Four generations later, FDR is being heavy-handed. And now here we are. We're four generations later, and we have President Trump. And people are crying out, you know, yeah, uh, tear it up. And, and, you know, people are cheering Trump because, you know, every four generations, it seems we need that shot in the arm. Yeah, that's nicely put. And that's, and, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's good, as you, as you say, to sort of see it in the long perspective because people say, oh, conservatives are against a big government, for instance. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, that's true today. But the, the early conservatives, I think of Hamilton, Webster, Lincoln, they their mission in life was to build up the government. Right. But maybe that's right because in the, in, the, in a time when, when Hamilton was operating, the, the entire federal government was maybe 2,000 people, 3,000 people. I mean, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. like the, the smaller than the, like a fraction of the, like maybe like the city government of Newport News or something. Yeah. So, yeah, you're trying to build it up. And so maybe the task of later generations is to restrain it. Mm, and exactly. And get yeah. Yeah, it's like Ecclesiastes is a proper time for everything. And you brilliantly lay out uh, Hamilton's life and what he observed in the Revolutionary War, and he knew that this this can't go on. And he, and he was right at that time. It was so inefficient that it almost cost America the war. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things I did in this biographical approach is to look at someone's life and see what that teaches us about their constitutional thought is that you gain new insights. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible to understand Hamilton's views about the Constitution without understanding his war service. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Under, under a, under a uh, essentially a treaty arrangement, the Articles of Confederation, was not a government because there was no executive, there was no president. And so you had Congress making decisions like troop, you know, troop movement. Mm-hmm. And when Congress couldn't get, uh, when Congress couldn't assemble, it was uh, silent. And mm-hmm. he thought that that sort of arrangement got Americans killed. And so that's why he was so obsessed with having a strong president to direct and especially to oversee uh, military and foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And now, uh, move forward a generation and you write about uh, a couple of uh, very famous Europeans that uh, come uh, to America and uh, they study and they write and they say great things about America. Tocqueville, uh, one of his quotes was, a good government 
encourages its citizens to do without it, which that would seem to say that the Hamiltonian approach, there's a limit to it. And if it goes too far, then that's not a good thing. Yeah, that's right. So I brought in, I brought in Tocqueville, who spent only 271 days in America. Uh, he you know, spoke halting English, never went to the South, but wrote this book that many consider the best book ever written about America. And I, in the same chapter, I, I have a man named James Bryce who came about 40 years later mm-hmm. from the United Kingdom and for a while wrote a, uh, wrote a book that for a while rivaled Tocqueville as the best book ever written about America. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Tocqueville noticed. Tocqueville, I, I bring in Europeans because they can see America in ways that only foreigners can. And Tocqueville thought it was amazing how Americans had this sort of self-governing instinct. So that whereas in France, you know, if you needed a new school or a new road, you'd start petitioning the provincial government to build it. In America, he thought these talkative little mini-congresses would just spring up and sort of sort it out on its own. He was mm-hmm. amazed at how um, people seemed to be take pride in doing things without the hand of government. Yeah. Uh, and that, and he, he saw that as one of the essential elements of Mm-hmm. But you write that one of the things he missed was the capitalistic expression of America and that um, Bryce, um, who uh, you also write, and I did not know this, that Bryce, he was an ambassador uh, from England and he was the uh, only person honored with a bust at the U.S. Capitol until 2013, the bust of Winston Churchill. I mean, that is amazing. So this was a really, really important person. He was, yeah. And and Americans loved him. And he he came to America to study us. And here's the truth, is that Bryce admired America much more than Tocqueville did. Tocqueville wasn't all that... Tocqueville did not like democracy as practiced in the United States. I mean, we know this because he later said it. Mm -hmm. He came here to see what France had to hope or fear, as he put it, from democracy. Because he just said, look, this is coming. Kings are going to get washed away. Aristocrats can't rule anymore. And he had some pretty negative views about many aspects of American life. Bryce was much more enthusiastic mm-hmm. about it as a general thing. And, 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 and yes, Tokyo missed a lot. He thought capitalism was sort of this low, grubby thing. Whereas, <laughs> as, 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 as we feel, capitalism is just the economic expression of our political liberties. Yeah. And, and you know... And, and- no, go ahead. I was just going to make one last point. Is that Tocqueville wasn't quite right that it was sort of just all spontaneous because as Daniel Webster, who lived at the same time, Daniel Webster, Lincoln, they were, they were Whig. And one of the Whig, the Whig platform was having government sponsorship of economic growth. I mean, this is in the early primitive days when we're essentially a third world nation. And there's mm-hmm. striking figures like, for instance, in Europe, you know, the government, would, the, government the typical government maybe paid for 5% of the railroads. In America, it was the government that paid for about half the railroads and built the Erie Canals and the harbors. Uh, there was a partnership there. Again, you know, it's all it's all relative. You know mm-hmm. how much government intervention you have, but there was an it, but but it was a it, it, it's not quite what Tocqueville said. Mm-hmm. Well, originally it was supposed to be for really necessary big things, and today it seems to be for everything. It's like those eighteen enumerated powers. Uh, they that really got tossed in the bonfire, uh, you know, real quick. Yeah, and I try to explore that. I mean, you know, the the 
the Commerce Clause, for instance, is one of those enumerated powers that has been one of the engines of federal government growth. Now, in part, as you say, it's because we've expanded it. We've interpreted it more expansively. Yeah. But in many ways, it seems like, you know, the Commerce Clause was always bound, as, as even a John Marshall told us, it was bound to mean something different when most of your life you lived in some small village where you never left your village for almost any reason because everything you had was there and in a world where everything's interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson said that, you know, the states should be in charge of everything that they can handle on their own. And whether there's something that requires, you know, cooperation between the states or that's outside the powers of one individual state, that would be with the federal government. Yeah. That, that same rule can apply in different eras in our history, but mm-hmm. mean different things because in many ways, problems have become more uh, incapable of control by an individual state. I and mean, just to give you one example, and I'll stop there, you take, take the opioid crisis. And when Teddy Roosevelt passed the uh, Food and Drug Act, this idea that the federal government would protect us from dangerous substances, that was very controversial because that mm-hmm. was a classic exercise of state power. But now states across the country are crying out for federal intervention. And Trump has said he's going to do something about that. And no one seems to blink an eye because, you know, yeah. drugs move across borders and one state can't control what happens in other states or mm-hmm. interdict drugs as effectively. So yeah. circumstances have meant that the Constitution just is applied in different ways. Yeah, it's that time. It's, yeah, every four generations it happens like clockwork. Yeah. Now, you you also, you go brilliantly into, um, you know, a character here that I, well, not a character, it is an actual person, Field, okay? Uh, This is um, a justice who's um, like a champion of equal rights and and civil rights for uh, the Chinese, but this same justice it has a, a deaf ear for uh, free blacks who are, you know, just up from slavery and under the protection of the federal government in the South. And, you know, what is, what, what's, what's his impact? I mean, this is a guy, as you write, could have gone down as being great uh, had it not been for this huge flaw. Yeah, you know it's funny too. I I started calling the, the figures in my book characters too. I don't know why, but yeah, this is Stephen. This is Stephen Field. He was he was appointed by Lincoln during the Civil War. He was uh, he he began his career as a, a lawyer during the Gold Rush and and was an important figure in California. And Lincoln appoints him because he wants a Democrat to put on the Supreme Court in order to yeah his friend across the aisle. Yeah, have a friend across the aisle. Yeah. A nice gesture to keep California loyal during the war. Yeah, that, that. And Field, yeah, and Field had written all these, these extremely important decisions in, out in out in the West and continued while he was on the Supreme Court. You know, California was terrible with respect to Chinese immigrants. They're passing laws saying that you, know, you can't work in this in the state unless you get twelve white citizens to say you're a good character mistreating them in many, and persecuting them in many ways. And he mm-hmm. said, this is not what we do in America. And for some reason, uh, and he would write things like, you know, well, I'm not going to be blind to this bigotry and persecution, even though they try to conceal it. And he had this terrible blind spot with respect. Mm-hmm. Now, would it to, be fair uh, Would it be fair to say that Lincoln 
wanted Lincoln thought that he had a quote unquote a good Democrat because of his history with the Chinese and thought that he would be fair to blacks. But I mean, Lincoln had a blind spot in you know even in the choice of his vice president, and a case could be made. Had Lincoln not been one of these Republicans, which is what we see today, you know, my friend across the aisle, you know, had he not had a Democrat vice president, maybe he would not have been assassinated. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yes, Field was a anti-slavery war Democrat. So he was a Democrat that supported the war. So, yeah, Lincoln might have expected better. And Field was just one of the worst ever. I mean, you have these, these cases where. You know, in West Virginia, they had never allowed a black man to serve on a jury. I mean, this is exactly what the 14th Amendment said you can't do. Right. And she would say, I'm sorry, this is like, you know, we have to leave this to West Virginia. This is their, this is their eternal, you know, administration of their criminal justice system. It's just the worst. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe he just didn't spend time in the South and he didn't realize yeah. how bad it was there. Or maybe he was just sort of following the Democratic Party line yeah. of the day, which was just like hostility to any sort of federal, especially federal judicial intervention mm-hmm. into uh, the, the question of treatment of black citizens in the South. But yeah, but what field enabled seemed to create people like uh, Ida B. Wells, who, whom you write about. Yeah, Ida B. Wells was, a, she was a, a black woman born a slave in Mississippi, and the event that changed her life was the lynching of her best friend in Memphis. And she starts writing against lynching. She's forced to flee to Chicago. And she becomes the most important anti-lynching crusader we've ever had in this country. She was second to Frederick Douglass in her renown as a black public intellectual mm-hmm. during the peak in the 1890s. And she was as outsider as you could get. I mean, she was a woman and she was black and she was a political activist. So this was sort of unheard of. Yeah, but yeah. she she she's credited as single-handedly raising the conscience of the North to the to the brutality and the sadism and sort of the medieval barbarity of of lynching. Yeah, and what is it about Republicans that they don't tout? I mean, this was a Republican woman, you know, Frederick Douglass, Republican. I mean, I could I won't bore the audience, but I you know I could r- rattle off a very long list and. Uh, who were very friendly in their interpretation of of the Constitution was, um, you know, to embrace these new amendments, not to do as the Democrats did, which was to find ways around them. I mean, even in the election of, um, where is it here that you wrote about, uh, oh boy, I lost it here in my notes, but um, one of the uh, elections presidential elections, there was a deal cut uh, that if the um, if the uh, Republican winner, Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican winner, yeah. um, he would remove all of the federal troops from the South, and that's the only way the Democrat loser would concede. I mean, you know, how asinine is that for them to go along with that? Yeah, it's one of the sad moments uh, in our history, and you make, a, you make a good point. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to sort of assign politics to people from the past because Ida B. Wells was talking about, you know, police shootings of black children in Chicago in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's like, that's kind of like a, it sounds like kind of like a, a Black Lives Matter or something. But then I thought, and I, and I would sort of test it on people, but people found that sort of distracting because, you know, the, they don't agree with some of the political tactics of, of a Black Lives Matter. 
what you think, but in another sense, as you point out, yes, she was Republican in many ways. She was like the conservative because she was saying she wasn't challenging the Constitution or she was saying, look, this, the, you are not adhering to the Constitution. Exactly. I, I want you to interpret the Constitution more loyally. And it says that you have to treat people equally. equally. It says that in America, we do things in a certain way. We have a certain, this is how we try people for yeah. crimes in this country. Yeah. Yeah, and so it, she was very much calling us, just, just like Frederick Douglass, or uh, saying, you know, like I, I'm, the, I'm the true uh, adherent to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she also said one other thing. I'll tell you real quick. That this is how I first discovered her. She said that every black family ought to have a Winchester rifle in their yes. home place of honor. <laughs> and that's a really interesting thing to say because she's writing this as a mother of four in Chicago. Yes, And you don't hear many black mothers saying that, but there's a whole era of history captured in that comment. Mm-hmm. In an era where, you know, your local sheriff was, was your enemy, was likely to lead a lynch mob or a Klan group as, to protect you against it. And she said that yeah. these families needed to be self-sufficient, independent, and protect themselves, learn to protect themselves. She carried a gun in her purse. Oh, yeah. Well, Frederick Douglass's uh, famous quote, one of them he had so many, was that uh, he places his safety in three boxes, the ammunition box, the ballot box, and the jury box. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, this is like, these are common sense, not this modern stuff where they want to just tear the country apart. And they, they, if there's a shooting between a black and a white, it's highlighted. But the thousands and thousands of black on black shootings, no, there's no mention of that. And so it's like uh, totally, uh, totally opposite. Yeah, yeah. But um, now, Scalia. Okay, Brennan versus Scalia. All right, the living constitution versus original meaning. Or as you write, was this your saying or Scalia saying that the living constitution equals a dead democracy? Uh, that's, that's Scalia. That's Scalia. That sounds like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and he now, wrote that in his- we, we're one minute to a hard break for the news. Is it possible that we could uh, get you to stay over with us uh, for a few more moments? Sure. I'd love to. Oh, I'd love to, too, because we have to talk about Scalia. And, folks, and if you're just joining us, folks, I have with me Joseph Tartakovsky. We are discussing his book, The Lives of of the Constitution, uh, 10 Exceptional Minds That Helped Shape America's Supreme Law. We're going to take our bottom-of-the-hour news break, and we will be right back. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly, friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog Radio program, The Really Real Deal. And uh, I'm enjoying this conversation, folks. If you're just joining us, we have with us Joseph Tartakovsky. Uh, He's written the book, The Lives of the Constitution. And uh, I'm telling you, folks, you really need to get this book. It was, I found it, you know, as founder and president of the First Amendment, Inc., you know I would love a book like this, okay? And uh, now, Joseph, I, in the interest of time, uh, 
I was trying to get it in before the break, but I, so what I did was I skipped over uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, the uh, Republican progressive and the Democrat progressive. <laughs> and uh, but I did want to ask you a question, okay? Because you um, you 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 say that uh, conservatives misunderstand Woodrow Wilson, but I want to ask you: Is was he hostile? Obviously not to the letter of the Constitution, but was he hostile to the spirit of the Constitution? In other words, was he finding a workaround to attack the Constitution? The Jefferson, particularly the Jefferson version or vision. Yeah, so what I, what I my, my approach to Woodrow Wilson is to, to treat him like the, the Soviets dealt with uh, political rehabilitating political criminals where you say he's not as guilty as charged. I mean, I would have voted for Taft. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I would have voted for Taft in 1912 or Hughes in 1916. But if you try to understand Woodrow Wilson as he understood himself, I don't find that it's true that he sort of turned on the founders. In fact, he did actually, wasn't that keen on Wood, uh, uh, Jefferson because he was a guy that believed in sort of Old new exercises of federal power, and he thought mm-hmm. that this was like what what a, what a Hamilton would have authorized, or a Marshall, or a Washington. But what I find is that he sort of gets blamed for things like rejecting the separation of powers, when in fact he was only talking about the the what he perceived as an imbalance, which I think was right. The era of congressional dominance. I mean, presidents were very weak in the late nineteenth century. That's why we don't remember the names of presidents from say Grant to McKinley. Mm-hmm. Um, the Speaker of the House is more powerful than the President. It was mm-hmm. seen as unconstitutional for the President even to go talk to Congress in person. Woodrow Wilson was the first to do that, to go to, to visit Congress, to make a speech there in 113 years. Yeah, but isn't and it written he, so that the legislature is predominant? I mean, that's, you know, that's written up first. Well, the legislature is predominant. I mean, they pass all the laws, but the Constitution also says that the President shall from time to time recommend measures to Congress. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, that means that the Constitution, and we know from the convention that that was, that had said something, originally they thought they had drafted something like the president may recommend, and they said, no, it'll be shall. I mean, we are requiring the president to advise the Congress of what new laws he mm-hmm. may think is necessary. And he said, look, it was good enough for George Washington and John Adams to go to Congress. <laughs> Jefferson had stopped doing it because Jefferson said that's what King is, in England, the king would go speak to the legislature from the throne. Mm-hmm. So he sort of changed that tradition. Now, he has a good textual argument that you could do that. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, I, I but I, I have a sort of a tendency, I mean, I, Woodrow Wilson's not my hero, but mm-hmm. the things he said, even if you don't like him, he said things that are instructive in how we mm-hmm. interpret our Constitution. And he, he represented sort of a view of the Constitution that you have to grapple with, I think, in this Very expansive. Yeah, but you know, and it's interesting what you say about Jefferson, uh, what because what that indicates is a type of humility that you know, in my imagination, the the founders had that type of humility because they declared that the purpose of government is merely to defend rights, and they didn't think themselves so powerful and so haughty that they could grant rights, that that was what God did, our creator, that upon birth or upon conception, we are already endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. And so, 
you know, and another uh, character, well, not a character, there I am doing the same thing you're doing. <laughs> another person that had that humility was Scalia, okay, who is saying that, you know, the, the role of the part of the government that he belongs to, the judiciary, is too strong and that it needs to recede. That, that, you know, so I find that fascinating that Scalia had that in common with Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scalia. Uh, Scalia, uh, by the way, who, like Woodrow Wilson and Jefferson, spent substantial time in Virginia. Scalia was sounding the alarm for 25 years of his life that the courts, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court, was slowly drawing to itself power over issues that had formerly been left to politics and to mm-hmm. democratic majorities, deciding ever greater numbers of issues, free speech, religion, prisons, welfare, national security. Abortion. And with each abortion. Yeah. And that with each decision, it was withdrawing a little bit of our democratic vitality, just removing one other question from our politics, and that that was undermining our self-government and actually intensifying politics. By making uh, by, cl- by by closing off the road to political compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're seeing the wages of that now. I mean, the, he most of this he was warning against this being done by justices of the left, but on the left now, the 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 the, the hair pulling and the gnashing of teeth that you see when Trump has now getting his second Supreme Court pick. You're see- this is what he was talking about that. That this idea that millions of Americans would worry that the appointment of one person for life on a court that cannot be challenged in any democratic way, mm-hmm. other than impeachment, which is sort of never has almost never been done. Yeah, that's one of my questions too. How how do we do it? You know, um, would you? Um, I think it was uh, Thomas. It was either Dr. Thomas Sowell or Dr. Walter Williams. Uh, wrote an article that both Barack Obama and uh, Chief Justice Roberts should have been impeached, but because of politics, neither of them will be impeached. And if you have separation of powers and checks and balances, and if each branch can check the other branch, you know, why is it that the legislature has checks, the, the executive has checks, why are there no checks on the judiciary? Because if there, if there's a power you have that you don't use, you really don't have it. No, you're quite right. I mean, I agree. There's almost no effective check on the judiciary. I mean, the president makes mistakes and the courts can strike down his actions. Same thing with Congress. But how do you get back at a congressional, a judicial decision when it relates to interpreting the Constitution? Mm-hmm. You know, the only way we do it is by appointing new justices, new personnel that. But, but why not impeach? For example, let's take, I think it was Dr. Sowell, who, you know, all my adult life I've heard him referred to as the smartest man in America, <laughs> okay? And um, so, you know, and I'm in agreement with him that the Obama, well, it, everyone else thinks it's Obamacare. I call it Obama scam, the health law, that, um, you know, he bent himself into a pretzel to pass it in a in a way that is unconstitutional in more ways than one, and he's the chief justice. So why why not impeach him? So this is a place where it's useful to look at at history and, and our, our practice as opposed to the text, because you're quite right that 
impeachment is authorized, including for judges. And, and impeachment is sort of the heaviest of all heavy artillery in the Constitution. I mean, uh, Congress can remove people. Now, why do we not do it? Tom, the, the Jeffersonians tried to impeach Samuel Chase, who was a Federalist who was sort of campaigning on the bench and being overtly political. And it failed. And it failed because Americans, and this is not anywhere written into the Constitution, but mm-hmm. Americans have this deep respect for judicial independence. We have this reluctance to go after judges because of their decisions. We say, oh, your decision's so wrong that we're going to remove you from office. Maybe we go after judges if they take bribes, if they behave improperly, but not because of their decision. Mm-hmm. And it failed, and Thomas Jefferson said, I, I predict that no one will ever attempt this again I mean, to go after the justice. <laughs> wow. And then it's just, it's just, it's just how Americans are just very reluctant to do mm-hmm. it. I mean, I've, I've had my own candidates for, you know, test case on this stuff, but we, we, we just seem not to do it. And so people propose other things in order to restrain the court, like, you know, requiring a supermajority to strike down a law uh, term limits, you know, every 18 years, which would mean every president gets two picks. Mm-hmm. Um, expanding the courts is now an idea, sort of receiving a new vote on the left, which is which is utterly unrealistic. It's a very big problem. Though. Mm-hmm. It's a real problem because we just don't, no one has ever been able to figure out a good way to deal with this. And, the, you know, you have these uh, justices spend a very long time in the court and they have this incredible power. And there's only nine of them. I mean, nine, you know, and have, you know, the, the, the basic question of American life turn on, the, turn on the vote of one or two swing justices is, mm. I think, not, it was not the design. And it's something we have to think about. But, mm. you know, the only thing that, the, the solution that, the consensus solution on the right at least is that you just need to have people who, like Scalia, have a more modest view about what the judiciary should do. And, and specifically a view that, the Constitution on most of these difficult questions is simply silent on them, and so mm-hmm. have to be left to voters in the individual states. Yeah, yeah. And that's really what Democrats fear, uh, not Brett Kavanaugh, but they fear the Constitution. The Constitution, uh, particularly the Bill of Rights, tells government you cannot, shall not, must not, and will not do this, 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 and this to the citizen. And um, the uh, the swamp does not like that. Yeah, yeah, so... Any final, um, you know, I really appreciate you giving us the extra time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. I highly recommend it, folks. The Lives of the Constitution uh, by Joseph Tartakovsky. And um, any any final thoughts you have or you want to tell folks how they can get in touch with you and, and how they can get your book and what you have coming up next? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Brother Craig, for reading the book so carefully. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to, to speak with someone who actually... Uh, pay, you know, read the book carefully, and so I, I really appreciate the discussion with you. Yeah, well, um, thank you for writing it. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's uh, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or you can get it in your local bookstores if they don't have it. You can just ask them to order it; they can get it there pretty quickly. So I hope people will check it out. Oh, and, okay. Uh, Anything coming up next? 
Uh, I don't know. I got to, I'd have to get approval from my wife to write a second book. <laughs> it, took a, it took a lot out of me. I understand that. I, I have a sweet, a uh, very, very sweet wife. I, I, I lovingly refer to her as Mrs. Hatchet. <laughs> <laughs> and when, yeah. whenever people meet her, it's like, Mrs. Hatchet, she's so sweet. <laughs> and uh, and she is. <laughs> but she keeps me in yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. So, so nothing nothing planned just yet. But just as a last word, I mean, there's a lot of despair in this country. And there was despair that that people just feeling despair. And so we're led to someone like Donald Trump, who, as you said, is sort of like a sort of a semi-revolutionary figure yes. after mm-hmm. the four generations or people are in despair because he was elected. But I just, I just sort of try to, I try to suggest in my book that this country has deep reserves. They've got through fraught moments before we've gotten through civil wars and world wars and depressions, large and small, and every sort of constitutional crisis mm-hmm. because we have a, we have a deep instinctive loyalty to the constitution. And mm-hmm. it's important to remember that as bad as our fights get, and you know, you you know we we argue about these things and that's healthy and that's necessary, mm-hmm. but that we it, this, this system would not work and it would not have gone on for 230 years if we didn't believe that. Above all, the task is to pass on this constitution and our constitutional culture, mm-hmm. our spirit of constitutional, a spirit of constitutionalism, yeah. which is not just a form of government but it's a form of character. And so. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. I'd love to be proud of. Yeah, that's very important. In my mind, that's what a conservative is. A conservative wants to conserve that spirit, period. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's uh, it's been great. I really appreciate it. And, folks, again, the book is The Lives of the Constitution. We'll have it up on our website and, uh, you know, go out and get a copy, and uh, it'll, make a good, uh, it'll make a good summer read. Yeah. So thank you so much, and uh, God bless you. Hey, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right, folks. We're going to take our final break of the day, and when we come back, uh, maybe we'll take a phone call or two. Uh, The number here, 804-454-1366. A man... And his microphone. Hello, Virginia. Brother Craig here with a little message about giving out of the abundance that God has blessed you with. If this great nation is going to be saved, then we in the Christian Conservative Constitutional Coalition have to be in the vanguard. There are so many brave and God-fearing groups and individuals engaged in the battle of this rendezvous with destiny. There are social welfare groups like the Salvation Army at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Military groups like Special Operations Wounded Warriors at SOWWCharity.com. Christian groups like the Virginia Christian Alliance at VAChristian.org and SaltAndLightCouncil.org. And there's also churches and others, many, many very worthy groups out here doing the Lord's work. So we support not only our own group, TheFirstAmendmentInc.com, which keeps us on the air, but the main thing for you, the listener, is to give. 
Give somewhere, give generously, and give often. And give in the measure that God has given to you. Thank you, Virginia, and God bless you. Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start Welcome back to the program, America. Your friendly neighborhood hatchet man, Brother Craig, coming back at you live here on America's Big Dog radio program, The Really Real Deal. Uh, great book there. I hope you all out there will uh, go out and buy the book. Uh, and again, the phone lines are open. We just had a call that was dropped, and uh, please call back, 804-454-1366, 804-454-1366. And, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, like w- what I was sharing uh, with uh, our author about the um, you know, every four generations we have uh, sort of a, a a stronger personality, and it's kind of necessary uh, because, again, as I said earlier in the program, you know, strong men make so much possible. Okay, and you do you have these four? Um, they're, they're like four seasons: a spring, a summer, an autumn, and a winter. And of course, we're in the winter, and so the you you have to win the winter in order to set the table in the spring. And so we we we're gonna have another spring, but you know our first springtime was the uh, American uh, Revolution. That was uh, the 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 winter was the war. The spring was when the Constitution was uh, developed. Okay. Four generations later, the Civil War, that's the winter. Uh, And then uh, right after the Civil War, you had a really, really tremendous economic expansion uh, in the nation, so much so that it was referred to as the Gilded Age, okay? And uh, fast forward four generations, you had uh, the Great Depression and World War II. Again, uh, that was uh, the winter. And that set the stage for the greatest economic expansion and, and really America's preeminence as the world's lone uh, superpower, okay? So, uh, and we have, um, uh, do we have Mike on the line? Oh, okay. All right, no. All right, 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. And, um, but um, it, the, so it's it's very interesting that we you know every four generations uh, we 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 have this strong man that has to come and we want to welcome Edison to the program. Yes, sir. How you doing, uh, Brother Hatchet? I am fantastic. How are you, sir? I'm fine, sir. God speed. God thank bless you. you. I wanna... Thank you, and, yes, and look, sir. God bless you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. A man that had told you the truth, and you would not hear him. A man that you, that's your man. A man that had told the truth, and they wouldn't hear you. They wouldn't hear him, and they're not likely to hear you. But I pray that God would open their ears and their hearts and soften them, because there's so much truth coming out. I thank God for this radio station and for the message you send to your people and people and friends. God bless you, Hatchet Man. Oh, that is that is so kind. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, yeah, that that is. Uh, are you still there, Edison? Okay, that what a very kind thing to say. I I try my best. Um, and again, uh, the number here eight zero four four five four one three six six. And uh, and you know, one of the things we didn't get into uh, about uh, Woodrow Wilson is that. Um, you know the, the the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan that was um, in large part uh, due to Woodrow Wilson, and so uh, the question I put to the author, and in his book he didn't, I don't think he went into that, um, but one of the questions I put to him was 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 Wilson ad- trying to adhere to the letter of the Constitution, but violating the spirit of the Constitution. And I felt like uh, Wilson violated the spirit of the Constitution because I felt like in in his heart that he was like that, um, that justice. Um, let's see, what's that guy's name? Ah, Stephen Field. Okay, Stephen Field, the justice that could write so eloquently about uh, the rights of Chinese, and this, don't get me wrong, I'm not against rights for Chinese. Uh, you know, we all have rights, but this same guy uh, had a blind ear, blind eye, blind everything, deaf and dumb when it comes to when it came rather to to rights for for Black Americans. And so I felt like Wilson was in that same uh, spirit, and I wish I had uh, gotten that particular. Uh, question out, but I had um, I had kind of skipped over Wilson just in the interest of time. So when I came back to Wilson, uh, I really only threw that one one question out there because uh, you know the end of it was Scalia, and the uh, the interview went kind of long. But that is uh, a, a point that um, really uh, needs to be uh, brought to bear is that in, uh, particularly in federal hiring, for example, there was a lot of, uh, progress that had been made prior to Wilson and Wilson reversed a lot of things, uh, that were favorable to blacks. And it was not just the fact that he showed this movie birth of a nation, uh, that glorified the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, he showed that movie in the White House. I mean, can you imagine that? And today, people would ju- they just throw terms like racist around, uh, with really reflexively and without thinking. It's like Donald Trump gets up and uh, drinks a glass of milk. Oh, he's a racist because he didn't put any chocolate in it. I mean, it's 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 it would be comical if it were not so serious. The damage that people do to young, impressionable, particularly minds that have not yet fully formed, uh, to pour vitriol into these people's minds at a very, very early age and, 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 and have these people thinking that there are white people out here that all they want to do is put you back in slavery. And, and it's always a Democrat politician or a Democrat political political activist group that pushes these false narratives, but yet and still throughout history, you always see who actually implements these things. It's Democrats. Okay. It's, 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 it, it was, it was Democrats that marched the uh, Native Americans from uh, the Eastern part of the United States across the Mississippi in the death march. It was Democrats that were the slave owners. It was Democrats that were the party of Jim Crow. I mean, and and it was Democrat Woodrow Wilson 
that uh, helped to revive and, and uh, kind of somewhat legitimize the Ku Klux Klan. And so, and, and when you look today, uh, you know, who is it that is leading the attack? And all of this is ty- a type of warfare. It's mental and moral and spiritual warfare, where in the past it was actual physical warfare, which resulted in lynching and murder. And today it's more, it's, it's pharmakeia. As I've spoken about when you read in the Bible, uh, in the book of Galatians, they, they use drugs. And they say, these people will tell you that you should not smoke tobacco, but it's okay to smoke marijuana. Okay? This is using uh, medicine to destroy you. Okay? And so you just go down the list of things, and, and it seems that whenever there is something that is going to limit your freedom and your integrity, your thought processes, your development, whether it's mental development, spiritual development, your physically, your health development, the Democrats are in favor of that thing which is producing the limitations, Okay, uh, I mean, boys being girls, girls being boys, using drugs to achieve that, using surgery to achieve that without the permission of the parent. I mean, we could just go on and on and on with this. So this this is uh, it's, it's just been fascinating to see. And, and, and you know, and there's so many, uh, you know, answers uh, contained in the um the way this nation was developed so that we could prosper, okay? But anyway, I could go on and on and on, but unfortunately, we're up at the end of the program. It's been great uh, being here, and uh, I just want to say thank you and God bless you. And uh, we're going to see you here tomorrow, uh, 9 to 11. And other than that, next Saturday, we'll be right here live. Same hatchet time, America. Same hatchet station. God bless you. Yeah.